This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Aminio left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field, and gone! Otani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. That's right. It is A's Cast Live from Ricky Henderson Field right next to the Oakland A's dugout. We have another fabulous show for you as Sean Doolittle, former athletic World Series champion, is making his way over here to A's Cast Live to our set. He's been intercepted by Dallas Braden, so Hopefully at some point, Braden will let him go. So Sean Doolittle coming up in moments. Amelia Schimmel, who is now the new voice of the stadium, she is going to join us at 445. And then the man that makes this field arguably the best turf in Major League Baseball, Clay Wood will be here. And I can't wait to hear how he feels now that the Raiders are gone and he doesn't have to do the transition from baseball, football, back to baseball, because that dance was miserable. I can't tell you how many times I watched either the A's and the baseball field get turned into a football field or doing Raiders postgame, watching after the game as they take down the football field and start the transition of putting the baseball field back. By the way, my dauber was down heading up here today with 11 games left and being three games back. I got to be honest with you. Three games back in the wild card, tied with the Seattle Mariners. Right now, eight back in the division, 11 to go. I mean, the bottom line, Seattle has beaten the A's seven straight, so I came here a, a battered performer. But something cheered me up like never before. It's like I got an instant jolt of happiness. As I called over one of the top pitching coaches in all of the game to settle the argument that has been going on, I asked Scott Emerson. I said, Scott Emerson, does a win mean something to a starting pitcher? His immediate answer was yes. And then I got to see Commander Cody Wilt. Well, when I was doing fantasy baseball, meh, 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 meh. As Scott Emerson said, are you going to tell me that one of the best pitching coaches in baseball doesn't know what he's talking about? Because you didn't tell him that. We all have our own opinions. No, you didn't tell him that. You didn't tell him he was wrong. Well, I didn't tell him he was right either. Oh, you wilted pretty strong. I still told him how I felt, though. Oh, yeah, but you used fantasy baseball as your answer. Oh, I still said I don't think starting wins for starting pitchers mean as much anymore. And he said to you, hey, if every one of our starters won 17 games, would we be in first place? And your answer was what? Yes. Uh huh. So if you don't believe that a guy that takes the ball at the beginning of the game that a win doesn't matter, you're you're kidding yourself. You're absolutely kidding yourself. You could ask every one of these starting pitchers when you take the mound, do you want to win or do you just want to what? I just wanted my stats to be good. 
That, well, that's, maybe that's how some guys are now, though. Well, then you're selfish because then you're not about the bottom line. You're not about winning. You're not about your team. You're about yourself. And guys like that don't win championships. It's true. I mean, but there's there are you think there's not guys in the sport that think like that, though? I'm sure, but you know what? That's why they don't win. That's why. That's why. That's why. That's why organizations get rid of guys like that. I'll tell you. I'll give you a guy right now. Danny Valencia. Danny Valencia was that player. Danny Valencia didn't care if we won or lost. Danny Valencia cared about his stats. Now you're a fantasy baseball player, so you don't care about whether these guys win or not on the field. You just care about what they do individually. You don't care about that. Would you, your beloved Pittsburgh Pirates, would you want guys like that on the Pirates? Well, the only guy that's ever won close to 20 games in my lifetime was Garrett Cole, and he's a Yankee. Do you see what I'm saying, though? Would you want guys like that on the Pirates? Yeah, it'd be great, but but the way baseball is going, I don't think we're going to see 20-game winners as much as we used to. That's why I don't think wins are as – there's other metrics to evaluate pitchers. That's my whole thing. For what? For not just te- – not. To- I'm not looking at just so either. so 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 all you, so really all you care about are, are numbers that really can't equate to me whether you win or lose. So if you're if you're a pitcher and you're a free agent, and you go, my team won 69 games and I only won five. But I, I are you or no better yet, your team stunk, but you were really good. And you're is that, how are you going to go in the free agency saying, well, my team didn't win, but once I did. again, you're talking about individuality. Well, the guy, how and guys, you're talking about money. How are guys going to get paid then? I'm just telling you right now, there's two things you do in this game. What are they? Win or lose. But not to you. You're about the stats and how am I getting paid. I'm going to talk about winning, and you always go back to the individual. You go back to me, 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 I, I, I. You don't go to team. You go to me. That's my argument. No, I know, but you're acting like I'm the only person in, in the world that thinks this way. You, know you what watch MLB now every day, and Brian Kenny's the same way as me. Yeah, but you know what? He never asked a starting pitcher. They never, no one ever asked a starting pitcher. Well, no, of course not. They'll ask, they'll they'll ask the uh, my glasses are fogging up. <laughs> they'll ask the they'll ask the, the the stat guy, the sabermetrics guy, and they'll go to the but that metrics guy has never been on the mound in Major League Baseball and tried to win a game. Who are these guys? They're originally guys who played fantasy baseball. Fantasy baseball isn't real. That's why it's called fantasy. It's like it's like it's like <laughs> it's like fantasy football. Fantasy football doesn't win football games. Well, fantasy fo- fantasy football. I mean, it's a little different. Oh, I got a quarterback who throws for four hundred yards and he threw four touchdowns, but my team still lost. I don't care. Well, the quarterback cares. That's the thing. There's a difference between reality and fantasy. And I understand. People say, well, and you always use the outlier, Jacob deGrom. But, you know, if I'm Jacob deGrom and I have I have the career that he has, I'm telling the manager you're not taking me out after six. You're not taking me out. I would fight to get in there because you know if deGrom goes eight, what happens? Oh, the Mets win. And then he gets a what? Uh, a win. But when you go six innings, you're now relying on three different guys or four different guys. You're relying on X amount of guys to get nine outs. Yeah, and and that's, well, if you're playing on a bad team, you can't rely on those guys to get you the outs. Now, if you're a guy that plays on the a team with a good bullpen, say you're a guy that plays on the Tampa Bay's bullpen struggling a little bit, and they never have 20-game winners anyway. But a team with a really good bullpen, you have faith that you're going to get that win. But there's team, guys that play on really bad, like an Orioles pitcher, if John Means goes out there and he's like, well, I want seven scoreless, and this team loses three-one or three-nothing. Like I, I, I feel bad for the pitcher. Well, we talked about yesterday. How many two hundred game winners are we ever going to see, and how sad is that? I know we have three on the cusp right now. It's uh, sad. After, and then we might maybe see with Garrett Cole. Who knows? 
Because let me tell you that the average fan, the average person that buys a ticket, who, by the way, is the most important person because they, the, the, they keep the machine going, yeah. they're not going to care about metrics for the most part. They don't. When you put the metrics up on the scoreboard, most people, they don't care. They absolutely don't care. Well, especially the more, even like now here at the Coliseum, we put up the advanced stuff like exit velo and launching and all stuff. Like a lot of fans don't care or even know what that means. Not, I'm not saying every fan does, but there are a lot of fans that just don't care about that. By the way, congratulations to your good friend. Uh, I you know it's a lot of long overdue for Cashy to clinch another playoff berth. But wait a minute, if you talk to anybody from ESPN, they're still the little brother to the Yankees. I, I, uh, I, you know, my Alexa at home. I tried to listen. I, I, I tried to see if MLB Radio, because you know I love SiriusXM, and I, I tried to see if I could listen to it uh, through my Alexa, and ESPN Radio came up. And so I started listening to it a little bit, right? What do you think ESPN Radio, do you think they talked anything baseball? I listened for an hour cleaning the house today with the dog. Mm, I know what they talked about. Ben Simmons and the Sixers. No. Wow. Uh, well, well, it's NFL, so it has something NFL related. Coming up next, this young quarterback might not make I mean, it was the same bad teases that they tried to get us to do at 95-7. This young quarterback, uh, who was it? Lamar I, I, Jackson? I, I, I didn't even listen. This young quarterback, how will he fare in week three? Coming up next. I'm like, are uh, you serious? It's probably Mac Jones because he's looking the best. Ba- oh, you know what? No. Justin Fields is making his first career start this weekend, so they're probably talking about Justin Fields. But you're right. Like I can't believe they're like, – they're not, well, you know they're not going to talk about baseball. And then when they do talk about baseball, it's the Yankees, the Dodgers, or the Red Sox. Now, the Rays, can you remember the last time the Rays? By the way, they've now clinched three straight postseason bursts. All respect to the Rays. I mean, we have so much respect for them. They're like a mirror image of the Oakland Athletics. Except they're going to be in the postseason. It doesn't look good for the A's, by the way. Um, when was the last time they clinched at the Trop? Oh, I know what it was. I know the answer. It's 2011 on the last day. 2011 when Evan Longoria hooked the dramatic 12-inning HR inside the foul pole to beat the Yankees game 162. Look, a quick trivia question for you. It's a former A. Who hit the game tying home run in the ninth inning for the Rays? Oh, the blonde lefty kid. Dan Johnson. Dan Johnson. Or was he a redhead? Uh, it's a great question. I don't remember what his hair looked like. I he was he, red or blonde. It all was, he ever did was hit big home runs for the Rays. So the Jays have won 17 of 21 in September. Is that getting it done compared to what we're seeing out here right now? By the way, check to see if they hit a home run today. The Jays? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, actually, this is the Jays. Forget that. I I thought it was the Rays. It's the Jays have won, but they lost today, so that's 16 of 20. But the Jays have actually hit 45 home runs this month. I mean, you talk about two different organizations going in a – and the Rays have won 11 of 19 against the Jays this year. It's pretty good. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a level, 11 and 8 record. So, I mean, the Rays, the Rays are constructed. In a, it's crazy that they're, they're where they're at right now, no Charlie Morton, no Blake Snell, no Ty, uh, Tyler Glass now. I mean, they're literally winning with guys like Luis Patino, who they got in the deal for Blake Snell, is one of their best starters. Shane McClanahan, who's a young lefty. They got Shane Bass, who made his debut the other day. They're winning with guys that are young, hard-throwing guys that are literally in their first year of Major League Baseball. Who was that Bass kid? Yeah. Yeah. Do you really want to know who he is? Or? I mean, he came out blowing smoke. Yeah. I told you he was, the last, he was the last part of that Chris Archer trade. 
So he comes up. He's their number one prospect. He throws. I mean, they all throw hard. They all throw. Hard. McClanahan from the left side throws hard. I mean, that's all. I mean, that's what the Rays do. And uh, it was our friend Ryan Divish brought up. He goes, all the Mariners really look like they're six five white guys. I mean, it's essentially what the Rays are. And they and they all blow cheese. By the way, the Rays are not done though. The Rays are still playing for something. So their magic number with the win today, I have to assume we'll see what happens. Going into today, their magic number to clinch, why does it say the AL East is five when they clinched already today? That doesn't make sense. Well, they clinched a playoff berth. They haven't clinched the AL, the AL oh, East Oh, okay. Yet. So they're, 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 their magic number is five going into today's. So with a win, it's at least going to be a half game, depending yeah. on what happens with, with – uh, Boston, New York, and Toronto. So if you start looking at the standings going into today, Boston has a two-game lead over New York and Toronto, and the A's are two-and-a-half games back, along with the Seattle Mariners at two-and-a-half games back. And it is great to see this guy. The great Sean Doolittle is going to join us here, now a Seattle Mariner. And it's great to see him because it has been a while. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> Bowmel's chirping me from the dugout over here. Yeah, he just said, "Don't believe a word he says." I'm not buying that. I'm behind I'm, enemy lines over here on the home side. You got to realize you'll always be in Oakland. A. I do, I do. It's been great coming back, and and I can't believe this is my first time back. This is my first time even playing the A's outside of a, a, a spring training game this year. Um, so um, to be back here and to see everybody again. Uh, for the first time since 2017, has been really, really special. You know what? Right over here in the dugout where Tony Kemp is sitting, you came up and I did your first radio interview there. Yeah. Remember that day? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that day. That the 2012 season was was so magical. Um, I, I, I think about it a lot. I still think about it a lot. I, it's absolutely one of the highlights of my career. Um, this has always been a special place to me. I mean. We, my family had season tickets up here above the third base, um, uh, above the third base side uh, when I was really, really little, and that was my introduction to baseball uh, when we lived uh, in the valley uh, over in Atwater. And and for me to even make it to the big leagues, let alone play for the team that was my introduction to the sport, uh, was really special. And then this, we, you know we had some good times here. We had some success here, and um, I was with this organization for ten years, man. It was a, 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 an incredible run. I, I was a, incredibly lucky. You were supposed to be the starting first baseman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, the older I get, man, the uh, the better I used to be at hitting, that's for sure. Um, I, I like telling that story. Um, my, my new manager, Scott Service, and I had a funny conversation about it because he was, he was a scout at the time that I was in the Cal League as a hitter, um, so he had seen me hit. He's one of the few guys left around the game that had seen me hit, and and it's always good seeing seeing uh, Darren Bush, who was my manager back when I was still swinging it. So, um, yeah, it's weird how things work out, you know. Well, and, and you just take us through how you went to, or either Keith Lippman went to you, or you went to him, yeah. and said, "Hey, listen, I back in the day I was blowing cheese at Virginia. <laughs> uh, let me let me have a shot at it." Um, he came to me. He came to me. Um, I had. Uh, yeah, I was in extended spring training in 2011 already. Um, uh, I had finished my rehab assignment from my second knee surgery. Um, so I, at, at that point, I hadn't played essentially in all of 2009 and all of 2010. And um, uh, I was two days away from going and joining Sacramento uh, to resume my career as a first baseman in AAA. And um, 
I, I swung and missed at a pitch, and I, I tore a tendon in my wrist. I ended up in a cast from my fingers up past my elbow. I couldn't really do a whole lot, and um, he came to me one day. He pulled up next to me on the golf cart, and uh, he said, you know, how would you like to start a throwing program just in case we have to activate your insurance plan? And, um, yeah, I, he said it would give you something to do, keep you out of the training room a little bit, and, and uh, you know, just kind of take your mind off things and let your – you know, throw yourself into something new, and um, and we did it, man. We we started a long toss program that lasted eight weeks because I couldn't put a glove on my hand because I had a cast, and so I had to have somebody catch the ball for me and flip me the ball, and then I would throw it. And um, I was out there. For, we had some long days in the Arizona sun. Uh, Garvin Alston, who was the rehab pitching coordinator, um, God bless him, man, because he we spent some long days out there working on some stuff, um, helping me knock the rust off and remember how to pitch. I mean, the whole time I was trying, I was still doing my wrist rehab, trying to get back as a hitter. And then ultimately by, by mid August, the doctor said I was going to need surgery and uh, on my wrist, which was going to put 2012 in jeopardy. So, um, I asked, I, I went to them that time and asked if I could switch and, and I talked to lip, I talked to David Forrest on the phone and they brought an advanced scout to watch me throw, um, a live BP session against hitters. And, and uh, I got a call that night that I was I was going to be a pitcher and pitched one game in the rookie ball season, the last day of the rookie ball season, went to instructional league, um, started the next year in high A, and by June I was I was here in Oakland. It so. was crazy. It was like I remember saying to you, this is like a Disney story. <laughs> like the guy can't hit, turns pitcher, <laughs> and just vaults through the system, and next thing you know you're here and you think about Balfour, you think about Cook, you guys formed a three-headed monster that helped the, if you remember, June 4th is the date in 2012. From June 4th on, the A's had the best record in baseball, they hit the most home runs, and you guys created this vaunted three at the end of the game that led you to a situation where you just kept reeling in the Rangers <laughs> and reeling in the Rangers, and next thing you know, one of the greatest games in the history of the A's, game 162 here. <laughs> It was unbelievable, man. And and to think about the way that season unfolded for us, we got back to 500 right at the All-Star break. The last day before the All-Star break, we finally got back to 500. And, um, you know, for me personally, as I look back, um, I really realized how lucky I was to have Bob Melvin as, as the manager uh, in my rookie year and early on in my career because he put a ton of trust in me, who I've been pitching for all of like three months by the time I got to the big leagues. And um, he put a ton of trust in me, continuing to give me the ball, putting me in situations to succeed and, and help the team win. And, um, you know, him showing that confidence in me, the communication that I had with him, um, it it helped my development so much. It helped my confidence so much. I felt like I belonged here and that I could have success here because of the way that, that he ran the ship and, and the way that he handled things with, with me. We had a great relationship. So... Um, I owe a lot to him. I, I owe a lot, obviously, to this organization. Um, and, and, you know, 2012 will always be something uh, for me that will always be in, in incredibly special. There's a picture in the clubhouse, and it, I think it's probably one of the, the last pictures of me in the big leagues without a beard. There's a, a of the uh, of the 2012 team uh, of the 2012 team. I think we're dogpiling after game four here. Uh, in the division series, uh, Coco hit a single, yeah. and we walked off to force game five um, after being down late in the game. And and um, I'm up there with a with, with a really cleanly shaven face. And um, but uh, 
it, it, it caught me off guard. Um, and then when I recognized myself, uh, I got goosebumps just kind of remembering that group and, and that season. Well, another group, and we've had Chip Hale on to talk about it. And I think about your guys' run. We were rooting for you because there were so many, you know, Kurt Suzuki, you, we were rooting for you guys. What was it like to finally win that championship and be a world champion and the Nationals and Baby Shark and all the crazy <laughs> things that were going on that led to your championship? Oh, my gosh, man. It, it, it's still hard. It's still hard to put into words, um, you know, even almost two years after it happened. It, it, it was such a surreal experience because I'd been on a lot of playoff teams. I think I'd been to the playoffs five or six times in my career. I've been incredibly lucky. Um, but I'd, that was the first time I'd made it past the first round of the playoffs. And um, we, I was finally on a team, and a lot of guys on our team felt this way. We were finally on a team that caught a break. Um, Soto gets a hit off Josh Hader in the wild card game, and it takes a really funny bounce away. Uh, from Trent Grisham in right field and clears the bases and we end up taking the lead in the bottom of the eighth and uh, I think after that happened we kind of felt like we were the team that has that devil magic we got that we're that team of destiny um, we kind of felt invincible like we could we could really make a run and we had to go through some really good teams to do it um, beating the Dodgers on the road uh, in game five uh, in Dodger Stadium I got to be on the mound to close that one out um, and and uh, at the time, I mean, we felt like we won the World Series after that, uh, after the Division Series, just because of, uh, of how good the Dodgers were and being able to do it on the road in Dodger Stadium. Howie hitting a grand slam in the top of the 10th to put us ahead four runs. That um, was huge. There were so many moments like that yeah. where that team had their back against the wall, uh, where we were facing elimination, and somebody stepped up. Um, you know, Howie had a monster postseason. He obviously had another huge home run in Game 7 of the World Series. Um, but up and down our lineup, Soto, um, Adam Eaton, uh, who kind of went un under the radar because of some of the moments the other guys had, um, he was incredible. Um, our, obviously, the starting pitching was the absolute strength of that team. You think about Scherzer, uh, Strasburg, who ended up winning the World Series MVP award. Um, Patrick Corbin and, and Annabelle Sanchez. When they weren't starting, they were down in the bullpen picking up innings on their days off, and um, it, it, was, it was a total team effort. It was really cool because we were the oldest team in baseball, um, and we embraced that role. We, we took pride in that role. Um, and, um, man, to, to, win, to win four games in Houston, um, it, it's incredible. Um, it, it really, it really hasn't sunk in yet. Like to be honest, it, it, I've been incredibly lucky in this game. Well, I got to tell you, the World Series ring is sweet. What, <laughs> what, what do you do with it? Yeah. You ever wear it? I, I've worn it around the house a few times, <laughs> uh, just because it. You know, I'll, I'll take it out and, and look at it. Um, it. It came in this really, really nice box that, uh, when you open the box, it there's some lights inside that automatically light up and it shines on the ring and it looks it looks really cool and it, it's so big that it, it's not practical to wear anywhere um you know but uh so it's a it's in a display case in a safe spot um but uh man it, it a lot of them a lot of emotions come back when you when you look at that thing and and uh nobody can ever take that away so it's really special was it weird to see what the Nats did here at the trading deadline where all of a sudden you got a bunch of different guys that you played with and you won a championship with 
heading to other teams? Was was that weird? Yeah, it was a little bit weird, and and um, I think still like. Um, you know, the the Nats have always done such a good job of, of finding ways to compete year in and year out. And so to see them in sell mode was, was really weird just because they've been in a position over the last maybe decade or so where they haven't had to do that. And um, it, 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 it hurt a little bit to watch that team kind of get broken down. I think because after 2019, once the pandemic hit and the season got delayed, we didn't have fans in the stands in 2020. So that team missed out on uh, being together in a in a sold-out stadium for a ring ceremony with the fans, yeah. to watch the banner get raised uh, with the fans, to take that, you know, the, that last victory lap before the season starts, you know, that, that kind of puts a really nice bow on everything before you really, like, dig in and say, all right, we're going to go after another one. Um so it, it it didn't maybe feel like we like we we got every thing out of that experience of winning the World Series, and then you know that team gets broken apart, and and um, I mean that's the way it goes, man. That's the, that's the business side of the sport, and we all understand it. Like I said, that team was had a ton of veterans on it, so everybody you know kind of knew what was going to happen if they weren't in a position at at the deadline. So, um, but still, like I said, like. They can never take that away from us. That 2019 season, the first one in, in franchise history for that franchise. So um, it'll always be a special, special group. You know, your relationship with your wife blossomed here in the Bay Area. Yeah. And I think one of the, the great things about what you guys have done is you've taken your success, you've taken your celebrity and your wife, and, and you've made it a mission of, of your guys to help other people. Just when did that start where you said, I need to give back to the community, I need to give back to people? I think it started here in Oakland. Um, I think uh, I was incredibly lucky. Another reason I was incredibly lucky to play here is um, the A's commitment to the community, to the Oakland to Oakland, and to the East Bay, and they helped us kind of uh, – they helped us with a lot of stuff. They helped us get out into, into the community. They encouraged us and they supported us and, and they helped us kind of find our voice and find our footing and, and navigate that space um, to do it. I think my wife and I thought that while I was here especially, we had a very unique connection with the fan base and um, we wanted to say thank you and, and show support to the community uh, because of the way that the community had, had embraced us. Um, so that, that's another thing. Like, you know, when I, when I say like, I, I grew up here, um, I grew up in this organization. That's a big part of it is, is, is finding that balance between, you know, what happens between the white lines out here and, and, you know, getting involved in things outside of the community. And it's been cool to see, you know, from afar, like I still keep track of things, see what, you know, like Tony Kemp and Jed have been really active like yeah. in the community. And that's been really cool to see that the organization, um, has continued to make space for guys to do that and support guys um, in in some of the things that are uh, important to them and their families outside of baseball. So, um, you know, they they uh, they helped us with that, and we were really lucky to be here. I know you got to get going, but when you you think about your new ball club, I mean, you look at the numbers and you go, "How are these guys where they are?" <laughs> like you're looking at their run differential. And, They've beaten the A's seven straight times. Like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> what is it about this ball club where they just keep winning? Uh, I mean, I think that's that's it, man. They just they find ways to win. Um, I think uh, pitching is a is a strength of that team. 
um, the bullpen especially. Um, I'm not necessarily including myself in that group. Um, I think you look at Paul Seawald, Diego Castillo, Drew Steckenrider, Casey Sadler, um, yeah, Swanson. I mean, there there are so many different ways that that group can match up, uh, that our group can match up from the fifth or sixth inning on. Um, that you know our starters are able to get through five or six, and we can turn it over to the bullpen. And um, a lot of times, games games end up. Jan Jan Gomes is trying to mess up our interview. Yeah, but he I'm, just threw a ball at you. But I'm a pro. <laughs> I'm not going to let it affect me. Um, Great teammate of yours. Um, yeah, World Series champion Jan Gomes. Um, you know, so there's so many games that we play where the game feels like it's kind of hanging in the balance in the fifth, sixth, and seventh innings, and. And our offense has proven time and time again that their best at-bats come in the last three innings of a game, and they're able to put some runs on the board some way, somehow. They grind out at-bats. Um, they have productive at-bats. Uh, it's not always pretty, but there's something to be said for finding ways to win. And, and this team feels like they're going to find a way to win. And when you have that confidence, there's only so much that, like, it kind of defies the numbers and some of the predictive algorithms and the metrics that we have. But, like, it's kind of old-school mentality. Like, this team feels like that game's hanging in the balance. It's 2-2 two to two in the seventh inning, and it's like, I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know who's going to step up, but we're going to find a way to win. And and we've gotten contributions from a lot of different guys uh, in the lineup. We're not just – it's not like we're just waiting for one guy to come up and, and come up with a big hit. Um, it seems to be, you know, different guys doing – doing the little things uh, on different nights that are giving us chances to win. So it's, it's been really cool to be a part of this group because it's taken, it's taken the whole group, and it's really cool to be a part of this group. Um, and, um, shoot, man, we got 11 games left. So that's crazy. put our, head to, put our heads down and, and, and see what happens. By the way, before you get out of here, Jan, you talk about a guy, uh, uh, and I hate, oh, he's a professional, but when you talk about a veteran who has come in and had to learn everybody, but once he did, he has started to teach these guys about pitchers, about approach. Like with Lou Trevino, he's like, hey, listen, you're a closer now. You don't need four pitches. Let's go with your two best pitches, and it's turned Lou around. I mean, the trust that the, that the staff has in him being the veteran guy and, as you said, a World Series champion, I mean, what a hell of a player. He's awesome. I was so lucky to, to work with him in, in Washington for those years that we were together and, and you guys are really lucky to have him here like you said because of his experience he's been he's seen a lot in this game he's been on world series winning teams he's been to the world series and lost he's been on some um i don't know losing teams um i don't know how to say that nicely but he's seen a lot in this game um and 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 for him to be be here helping out the young guys it doesn't surprise me one bit i mean he's so smart and he's such a good teammate um that you know i i i would have bet that that was how that was going to work out i'm trying to do the same thing over there <laughs> like i'm not pitching as much as i used to so i do have i got more time between outings i can make my make my rounds and talk to some of these young guys these relievers who are in the thick of a playoff hunt for the first time and and who are navigating a lot of them this is their first long season uh, you know after the 60 game season last year this is a different beast. Like, how are you? How are you keeping your mind and your body ready to go all the way through 162 and hopefully through October? Like, you, you know, so um, you know, it's awesome to hear that Jan's doing that uh, over there. I'm trying to do the same. We're trying to pay it back because uh, it took it took guys doing that for us to get to this point in our career.
Well, I'll tell you what, I've been doing this a long time, and I think I can speak for the fan base. You're going to go down as an all-time favorite. <laughs> and, you know, for your era of when you guys played, it kind of makes me think of the We Believe Warrior team that didn't win, that upset the Mavericks. Even though you guys didn't win a championship in 2012, people feel like that's one of their favorite years of baseball and your time here, what you did in the community. So, uh, you'll, I mean, as a kid who grew up here, not, I mean, literally as a kid who grew up here, as you turn into a man and became a professional baseball player, you'll always be in Oakland and we'll always love you. I appreciate that. I'll always have a special spot in my heart for this place. Um, I loved my time here. I loved my time in the, in the A's organization. And the longer I spend around this game, the more I, I really, truly believe that I was incredibly lucky to have started my career here. Um, with Bob Melvin, with this A's uh, organization, um, I'm you know I'm incredibly grateful for everything. The great Sean Doolittle right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. This is A's fan and A's noise host Elena Matsorkas. You're listening to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Ah, the great Amelia Schimmel's going to be joining us right now here on A's. I've lost track here on A's Cast Live. I mean, having Shonda, how long did we have Doolittle on for? Oh, it was at least 20, I think it was about 20 minutes. Yeah, when Sean Doolittle got called up, it was like a Disney movie. And I did his very first e interview. So I did his very first interview right over there in the dugout. And to see him now is uh, really, really cool. And uh, great for Sean Doolittle and all the success and the money and everything uh, that he has generated. Speaking of money, Amelia's here. How are you? Hey, how are you? I think everybody recognized that voice as we hear it throughout the stadium. Yeah, although I do a lot more, I think, screaming on the microphone. I've been told, hey, you have a microphone. You don't have to scream. I think you're doing an outstanding job. <laughs> Thank you so much. And obviously, our, our late great friend to all of us, uh, Dick Callahan, who meant so much to us. I mean, the fact that you're replacing a legend and he loved you, uh, it's, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a great transition period. Yeah, I mean, we loved him. We loved him in every way. He would walk into the control room. He would light up the whole place. He, he knew everyone, you know, our hundred or so part-time staff coming in and out. He knew all their names. They all said hi to him. Um, you know, even around Oakland, he would tell me, oh, I went to Safeway and I and I saw somebody, I met somebody that said, are you the voice of the A's? And he was just so proud. He was so happy and, and very humble in the same, in the same. But I think I learned so much just from watching him. And it was just, you know, I'm so lucky to have been able to watch him do what he did for a few years there. Um, and also, you know, learning from Rennell in San Francisco, who, yeah. by the way, happy birthday, Rennell. It's her birthday today. She's been doing it a long time. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many people have called me and given advice, and, um, you know, especially Dick Callahan's daughters, who are wonderful, and they call me and they, and they tell me that I'm doing a great job, and I, and I ask them for advice. And 
mostly what Dick used to tell me is slow down <laughs> because I tend to talk a mile a minute and I get really excited during these games and I want to just speed up and sometimes you just got to take it all in and you only get one shot to announce somebody the right way. So, Well, what people don't understand, it's not like this is something you've been doing uh, for your career. You came to the athletics as a baseball nut from MLB Network. You worked mm -hmm. at MLB Network. Obviously, you grew up here, but... You know, when, when you left MLB Network, everybody was bummed. And every and, and, and all the people that we have run into, especially the last time we got to see people in San Diego at the winter meetings, they are like, oh, we miss you so much. <laughs> so talk about your background and how you got to the A's. It wasn't as a PA announcer. Right, right. I was, you know, behind the scenes. I never thought I was going to be either on camera or, you know, on an interview like this or talking on a microphone. I was the one writing scripts for people and kind of up at the wee hours of the night studying games and making sure that everybody knew exactly what happened at 2 a.m. on the East Coast when a game went went late on the West Coast. Um, and I loved it. I mean, I, I started out as a logger, which was tedious. It was like 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. and you were watching all of these September call-ups and nobody knew any of their names except for me because I was just studied locked in on like who's this random reliever that just got called up and that was so helpful now you know being able to know all of these guys names and just random OPSs here and there and even I mean I can't believe I followed Sean Doolittle I mean come on I at MLB Network I actually reached out to his wife Erin his now wife Erin and uh she, she gave me so many photos and dirt on him before his interview at MLB Network. It was awesome. I, I was doing the producing there and kind of trying to figure out what segments would work, you know, uh, social media segments, uh, particular segments with Sean, focusing on the A's because I had the A's bias. I was on the East Coast, like, basically undercover for the A's almost because I was a fan my whole life. So Matt Vaskersian and I would you know, commiserate and stuff. We'd watch the games together and we would try to make sure that everyone was represented out here in Secaucus. So I want people to know one of the reasons why we have had such a great relationship with MLB Network and we've gotten all the guests that we have gotten is because of you. You've helped with that. So thank you. That has meant a lot to us that we basically had everybody on. And what people need to know is you just weren't writing scripts and doing you were coaching these guys. My favorite is what you would always tell Al Leiter. Oh, my God. Al, land the plane. I can't take credit for that. I didn't make it up. I don't know who did. Maybe it was Maddie. Maybe it was Ken Rosenthal. I don't know. But land the plane. The man has so many good thoughts in his head, and they're swirling around. you got to just catch one of them. And uh, he was a, He's a wonderful person to work with. Sometimes tough to produce and corral, but that's just because he's got such a great baseball mind. We even had a little graphic going where it was like Al flying in a plane, <laughs> and you're like, all right. And you play the, uh, what's it, the Emmys or Oscars, like music when somebody needs to stop talking. We played that a few times, I think, on air. That is awesome. Yeah. That, so you got a great gig. You're living in the city, and you decide, you know what? I'm coming back home. I'm coming out west. I'm going to work for the team mm -hmm. I love. Yep. How did that go down? I mean, that was always part of the plan. I didn't want to st I grew up in Oakland. I grew up going to A's games. I feel like I was born and, and grew up in the Coliseum. Um, and I always wanted to come back to Oakland. 
it had to be for the right job. I wasn't going to come back and, you know, just drive a ferry or something like that. I, I needed to come back and do something that was meaningful to me because I really did enjoy working at MLB Network, but it wasn't the right place for me. And, and being here and this job, the executive producer job that was open, so many people sent it to me, the opening, and said, this would be perfect for you. And I'm like, there's no way. There's just no way I'm going to get this. Like, it's just perfect. It, I mean... I, I need to be so lucky, and, and you know what? I, I was really lucky. I mean, the timing worked out perfectly. I wanted to come back home. I wanted to work for the team that I love, and it's been just amazing, just beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, I, I didn't think that when I took the job back then that I was going to end up being the PA announcer, but here we are. It's, it's an unbelievable honor, even just to work for the team alone, let alone be able to speak on the mic. So when, when I think about your old job and what you do now, other than talking in the mic, what else do you do now? Well, actually, um, I'm doing a little bit of uh, almost DJing for the fireworks shows, that kind of thing, putting together music. Actually, this, this coming Friday, we've got a fireworks show. It's yeah. my personal favorite style of music, the 90s, 2000s, pop, nostalgia, you know, the boy bands and stuff like that. I, uh, I mixed a lot of that music together. I can't take full credit for it. There's a lot of people that are working on that show, but, but the music actually, you know, I, I love doing that. It's part of my passion back from you know editing at MLB Network is working with audio and stuff and it's it's adjacent to that so um, come out on Friday night because I hope you like the music and if you don't uh, I didn't I didn't do it uh, somebody else did it <laughs> well the one thing that you know we do better than really anybody else is mm -hmm. our fireworks shows where we allow the fans to come on the field we spare no expense we're shooting off a bazillion fireworks yeah. the 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 Obviously, I think our speakers are too loud, but for firework <laughs> night, it's perfect. You, uh, hey, you know why this thing's bent and goes right down to the field? From when John Gruden was first head coach of the Raiders. Uh-huh. It was John Gruden who wanted it that way. So that's why we've had to deal with this loud music in our ears. I believe it. For all these years. I mean, we've got the windows shaking sometimes from the bass in the in the control room and I love it. The walkout songs, you know, they get everybody energized. Um, and you've got a very like get off my lawn kind of old school mentality about this. Actually, weren't we just talking yesterday about pitcher wins and- uh, Scott Emerson <laughs> shot that down with uh, with Cody and kind of embarrassed Cody. Oh, gotcha. Well, I think, you know, I like to think I'm a little bit of a cross between new school and old school. And you, you pitched, right? Yeah, I, I pitched in college and I pitched in high school. Um, you know, I won't say it's, it wasn't for money, so I understand that why stats matter Where a little did bit you more. Play? But I, I played high school at College Prep, a small private school in Oakland, and I play, actually played on the baseball team there because there wasn't a softball team for the first two years that I was there. Started the softball team because I wanted to play in college, and then played college softball at Brandeis. Okay. Played all around the field there, not you know, not just pitch. See, then I, I told Cody this. I'm not saying your opinion doesn't matter. But I'm saying your opinion doesn't matter from a softball standpoint because the same person pitches every freaking game. You know what, though? I don't remember at all what my win-loss record was in high school or college. I don't know it at all. I don't care. I just remember the games that we won as a team. And I do think, I know this is a complete pivot here, but I do think that the pitcher win is the most useless stat. I do think... Oh gosh, Cody's looking at me like we're gonna quote can, that. Can, can we get can we get Scott Emerson back out <laughs> no, here? No, 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 no. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out on this though. It's a good indicator, right? You know, John Lester, 200 wins, very good pitcher. It's an indicator that you're a very good pitcher. But take Frankie Montas in August and September. I actually, think. Let me uh, let me pull that up real quickly. 
Because if you look at his baseball reference page, would you say that seven innings and two hits is a good game? Yes. And no earned? Yes. Would you say that six innings and two hits and one earned run gives your team a chance to win? Yeah, but you know what Those? I don't – I'm going to tell you what I don't like about that. Let me tell you what I don't like about six innings. Yeah. You're now asking the bullpen to get nine outs. It's your game. Fair. And and by the way, in both those well, outings, you could still get a win if you pitch six. Both, both those outings weren't even a hundred. Those pitches were no decisions. Without a hundred. Oh, your pitch count guy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? You, you, do you, do you, you think it's a good outing if you go 87 pitches and you go, Sometimes you I'm get tired. taken out at 87. I know, it's wrong. Yeah. That's where the game is changing. But that's changing. not his decision, though. It's not necessarily an indicator of how he did. He's out of the game. Now what happens next, he has no control over. And that's why I think that a quality start, for example, even though six innings, three earned is, no. you know, not a good start. That's a mediocre start, in my opinion. You're, you're still, you know, ERA of four or five, right? I think that should change a little bit. Maybe two earned runs in six innings or something would be a quality start. But that's, I think, to me, a better indicator of did you pitch well? Did you give your team a chance but to win? But that's great. That's an individual thing. We're about winning. This is a game where it's win or lose. Well, team wins exist. And, and, we're, and, and what did Emerson, Emerson said 17. I'm going to dumb it down to 15. What he said to Cody, he said, hey, uh, if every one of our starters had 15 wins, what place would we be in? That's an indicator that we've what done place very would the, well. What place would the A's be in? Hey, if they all had 15 wins, that means the team no won those, it. those wins. If we had the team won, okay, if, if four had guys had 15 wins, you've got 60 wins right there. The team has those in their record. They're accounted would we for be in, in the first record. Place? They do not need to be accounted for in the pitcher would, win loss. Would we be in first place? Okay, how about Felix Hernandez in 2010? You're giving me an outlier. You That's not go, an outlier. Yo, he's a total outlier. He won the Cy Young with That's a 13-12 a, record. Who else has done that in the history of baseball? And he wasn't even an all-star They've played that this year. game for over 150 <laughs> years. He's an outlier, just like Jacob DeGrom's That's an the outlier. problem. There's too many outliers with wins, I believe, because Frankie pitched well enough to get three wins in the last two months, and that outlier, and I'm doing air quotes but you can't see, means that he doesn't get the wins in those games. They were no decision. So how quickly the tables could have turned if – something else happened after he left those games that he, that are not, you know, that he can't control. Ours are, are, are the, uh, in, in the playbook, do we have the, uh, when A starters go deep, the, their, the record for the team? Yes. Yeah, it's in there. I track that every night. I have no life. There are records for everything. Yeah, I think you can say when, when the eight. team hits more home runs than the opposition, yeah, we're more likely to win. When the 48 and 10. By the 48 and 10, I believe, when, when we, the, have, when when we the, get more home when runs. The start should, should Ole get the win if he hits a grand slam? When starters go seven innings, we're 25 and 6. <laughs> when starters go eight innings, what do you think our record is? This isn't fair. You have printouts right now. I've got What nothing. do you think our record is <laughs> when we got – because we haven't had a lot. Yeah. What do you think when our starter goes eight innings, what do you think our record is? I would venture to guess that it's something close to a hundred percent win. Uh, it's four and zero. Uh, yeah. When a starter goes nine, we're two and zero. Okay. So when a starter goes deep, mm-hmm. and that's when it's his game, and he gets that win, the team gets. So the you w- just two. kind of proved my point. Point there. If a quality start measured something like that instead of six innings, three earned, if it's eight innings, and you know we talk about the number of earned runs, it's debatable there. That that doesn't need to be a win statistic. That can be something that says, hey, this this person had a quality start and gave their team a chance to win. I think the word win is the problem here. Well, why? We give it to quarterbacks, too. They have a record. Anybody who handles the ball more than anybody else, we chart their record. Is Mm -hmm. that true? 
Do quarterbacks have records? <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, we look at Tom Brady as you know one of the greatest of all time. I mean, we check Actually, Tom Brady's no, record. No, sorry, he is the greatest of all time. I'm tired of people saying one of. He is the greatest of all time. Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. Ooh, I I don't know if I can answer that. What did we say? I can't. I, I went to school in Boston. It's tough. I know he's from here, but he's he's played. It hurts my soul to whether, say how that he's very very good. Whether yes. you like him or not, he's played in how many championship games? I think it's with last year's. It's 14 or 15 now? I think it was 14. Yeah, he's 13 AFC. He's won played it. in 10 Super Bowls. Okay, and the rings that he has are an indicator that he has been on very good teams, not that he personally is the best of all time. I don't know too many guys that make multiple franchises into champion. Uh, Tampa wasn't that great the year before. Let's take one any Tampa. random Yankee from, like, their World Series runs wow, or whatever. She's throwing shade on Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> and say that they're Hall of Fame just because they were on a team that won. If you had one guy to play for your life in the NFL, who would you have it be? For a quarterback? Yeah. It's for your life. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, go, I'm, oh, I'm no. a Steeler fan. I'm going, I'm I going Tommy. I'm in the I got to go Brady. I mean, if this is for my life. I mean, I may not love him. But, I mean, yeah, okay. he's got seven rings. <laughs> hey, all I know is I started Rodgers last week, and thank God for that because I thought I was I was going to opt out after week one, but he turned it around. So, so I got to ask Cal you. Cal guy, too. I got to ask you. I didn't realize, you know, because I'm not always paying attention what's going on. Um, you did. There was a proposal, and the guy wasn't there. Oh gosh, this was. I've never. Seen, I mean, I've seen so many things, like just from MLB Network to here. Uh, God. And proposals, whether you like them or not, you know, sometimes I, I think they're nice and heartwarming. Don't don't tell Jess Kleinschmidt that I said that. Sometimes I think, you know, maybe you better do that somewhere in private with your family and make it a nicer moment. But this guy, you know, he, he wanted to propose to his wife and we put the message on the board and we look over and the woman is like in tears and she's excited, but no one's next to her. And we're like, where's the guy and we see a guy running from like probably the bathroom i don't know he's sprinting so and he just she doesn't know what to think she's like did he just propose to me i don't know where he is and we're in the control room we're getting secondhand embarrassment we're like where is this guy gonna show up and this, and he he sprints and he gets there and then finally she realizes what's going on we put him back on the board and we made it right but Oh my God! I think he just realized, you know, maybe he was at the concession stands or something like that. What, 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 what do you, what do you do if, if she says no? Yeah, see, I don't know. Like, do people only do ballpark proposals if they're sure the answer is going to be yes? What would you do? You saw what happened at the at Oracle Park was it last week, where the guy put up the uh, someone holding oh, the divorce the, message, the divorce sign, yeah, Congra something like congratulations on being divorced, get back out there, something like that. And it's like, so how do you handle that as the PA announcer? Someone says that on our scoreboard. Oh, Oof. oh, that's tough. You know, I used to be no, no the more person this, that had to make those decisions. No more softball. No longer. This, this is 60 minutes <laughs> no now. No longer. Now, now, you know, that's that's Justin's problem. <laughs> that's can, a rough he one. He can I figure <laughs> that one out. There's some decisions that you do have to make. You know, in my previous role, it was executive producer of Game, game Entertainment. And there are interesting things that, that happen that you don't expect. Light uh, delays, you know. Oh no hitters my. after light delays. How about when uh, the uh, stomper's car breaks down or something like that? You know, you got to figure those things out on the national fly. National anthem doesn't go. Yeah. I mean, we're dealing with technology here, and, and sometimes technology doesn't cooperate. And what do you do? So uh, that's, a you know, a lot of stress that I don't have to deal with right now. I'm just focusing, you know, on, on saying the right words and pronouncing them the right way and 
and it's been nice that they've been, you know, the A's have been so helpful in, in making sure I have the right, you know, time to focus on this role and make it right and, you know, and study a lot because I'm just learning this still, you know. Well, I don't know if you know this, but I had to do it twice. I know. <laughs> so Dick Callahan vo- voices go, goes out. All of a sudden, I, I get Kim Priest, former VP, used to work here for many years. He goes, hey, I need a favor. I need you to do the PA. Now, not only do I got a show, I got the pregame show, and I got the postgame. So I'm already talking for hours, and then now I got to step in. And what I didn't realize, A, you can't go to the bathroom. It's mm-hmm. too far. To, well, now for you, nope. for the ladies, it's maybe, a little closer. Maybe during the ESPN game when the breaks are a little, the national games, the breaks are a little bit longer. But it's still a sprint. You got to, yeah. It was, it was unbelievable. So I did back-to-back games against Tampa. Both times they went extra innings. <laughs> I was exhausted. Like, you, you don't realize, like, everybody thinks, ah, baseball's slow. Oh, you think baseball's slow? Try PA. There's always something going on. This inning is brought to you by Depends. <laughs> Chris Townsend, folks. And, and there's always a new batter. <laughs> there's always a different pitcher. you got to know everybody's name. Yeah, like, you do. I, I mean, some of these guys, who the hell are they? Especially September call-ups. Like, who are these well, guys? Well, you know, and that's in- interesting. I don't. I don't mean to draw attention away, away from how unbelievably cool it was to announce for Jackie Robinson Day, but one of the things there is everyone's wearing 42. And so you really do have to know everybody's name when everyone's wearing 42. Wow. It was an unbelievable day for his, historic reasons. Yeah. Obviously, I was completely honored to be able to work on that day, just to even have a small impact in that historic day. But then what's going through the back of my mind is don't announce the wrong name here because everyone's wearing 42. We were playing the Tigers at the time, and there were a lot of guys that were pretty new to the Tigers. So, oh, gosh, you got to, you know, and especially here, it's really interesting where we're situated. It's great that we have the bullpens on the field, actually, because you can see guys warming up immediately. And I, I imagine with, you know, video feeds, you can do that in any other park. But we see when somebody's warming up to come in. But when they're about to pinch hit and they're in the visiting on deck circle, sometimes they're they're facing me so I can't see their number and I can't see until they turn especially if they're a righty until they get into the box I can't see their number and I'm like now batting <laughs> really hope it's this guy um and I and I wait a little bit and I know that if they look up then I've done it wrong but so far so good I don't know it's uh you know especially with the angels with their red on red jerseys they're certain I'm like you know they're with binoculars just making sure that we're accounting for and, – and we also do a lot of judging of, you know, okay, a lefty just came in. Or are they going to pinch hit with a righty or something like that? Well, I can say this. We always say people who are friends of the program, you're definitely a friend of the program. Thank you. And you're doing an outstanding job. You've made this organization a better organization. So keep doing what you're doing. As an A's fan, we're all really proud of you. And uh, – it's great to have you on. We got to have you on again soon. Thank you. I would love to be on again soon. Thank you so much for having me. And and really thank you so much to the A's fans for this entire season, just embracing me, making me feel at home because I've always been an A's fan. So I didn't want to feel any different. You know, I wanted to just, you know, come in and not distract, but just kind of help enhance the game and enjoy myself because I enjoy watching every single out of every game. So Really appreciate everybody in the A's organization and, and the whole fan base for, for just, you know, being here with open arms. Keep doing what you're doing. The great Clay Wood up next right here on A's Cast Live. Hey, this is A's fan and co-creator and member of The Last Dive Bar, Brian Johansson. And you're listening to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. 
Ah, one of our good fans. You see him all the time out in left field with all the pins. He's been trying to get the pins back, and I'm down. I'd love to get that. Get pin trading going. I started doing that with my kids down at Disneyland. Let me tell you a story. So back in the day when I did the sidelines for the Raiders, right before every game, I used to like to go out, and the guys were out there trying to try, kind of like in golf, we were trying to replace the divots. And I'd go, always go out and go, Clay, how you doing, buddy? And he would be so angry that he was working football. It was hilarious. <laughs> how is life now with only a baseball-only field? Uh, it's good. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, I wasn't angry that I was working football. I was angry at the, you know, obviously we had a tough situation here. So I was probably angry that we had a baseball game the next night usually. So, um no, but it's really uh, it's it's totally different. Not having football, having a, a field this time of year, it's a learning curve. Where you know usually we're in uh, survival mode, trying to figure out a way to keep grass on the field. You know now we're dealing with uh, you know a field that's been in between COVID, no football. You know 19 months now. It's super healthy. It's almost too thick, too lush. Um, so you know we're learning uh, learning along with. Uh, the crew and everybody else, like, hey, how do we maintain a field that hasn't been had Supercross or football or conversion? So, uh, but man, from a, a lifestyle standpoint, it sure is nice not having to deal with it. Yeah, I remember. So, if people just envision where the Ho Holy Toledo sign is, Mount Davis, and there's that big opening. That's where they would bring everything out for those stands, and they'd put those wood pallets down, and then they put the stands on top of it, and it basically suffocates. It's a living organism. They would suffocate the grass, and I'd walk out there after you'd convert it back for baseball, and the grass would be dead, and I'm thinking, you got Mike Trout making all that money, one of the greatest players, and he's playing on dirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the whole process. It was. I mean, they had to put down a ton of plywood, and then it was the cranes and the weight of the the bleachers being moved in and out. Um, just a really, um, you know, demanding process. And and you know, li like you said, a living thing isn't meant to to be suffocated like that. So it's like us putting a plastic bag over our head for you know, three days. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, no, it was terrible. Yeah, so it, it was definitely a difficult situation. We made it, it pretty amazing. We made it work for as long as we did, uh, you know, 25-plus years. It was uh, it, it was incredible. It's, I, I think it's, you know, obviously it's better for everybody now. Um, they have a beautiful new stadium in Vegas, and, and, uh, and we have a decent field in September, you know. So that's uh, – it, it's nice. Yeah, when, when, when I think about that conversion, whether it's converting it to or back to baseball, how long would that take? Well, going to football was a little bit more difficult for everybody but us. Um, and that could be anywhere, pro probably about 18 hours total uh, for the whole thing to happen. And then coming back to baseball, which was way more difficult for us, uh, was about, they had it down to about 10 to 12 hours to get everything out. And then we had another probably four to six, eight hours of work after uh, they got the bleachers out, plywood off the field. So it was quite a bit faster coming out for them because you didn't have to have everything set perfectly. 
They just kind of ripped it out. Whereas going in for football, all the bleachers had to be lined up perfectly for the, you know, the stairwell, the vomitories coming down, things like that. So it was a little bit more tedious going in for them. What was the field like after a football game? Oh, it depend. You know, it really depended on a lot of things, weather, day game versus night game. But, um, you know, it gets pretty chewed up, you know, down the hash marks uh, for sure. And then the infield dirt was right down the middle of the football field. So uh, football cleats don't do well on, on infield dirt. So it was usually really chopped up. Uh, but the dirt was probably the easiest thing to get back. We could scrape it, you know, drag it out, roll it. Um, but it would always change, you know. I mean, that was the thing that was that was difficult to, to handle here was, you know, all it took was one conversion. And, and the field was totally different for the rest of the season. So um, you could play, you know, however many baseball games, 60 games, whatever, and then, uh, you know, it took one football game, one conversion, just the, you know, it's so hard on this place as far as, you know, not being able to do anything that you normally do uh, during a conversion. So it, it beat it up pretty good. Yeah, and that's only just two preseason games. You haven't even started the season yet. Well, yeah, we had two preseason, you know, and depending, you know, we had as many as six conversions, I think, one year when the A's made a, a deep run in the playoffs. And, and uh, you know, it's it, it's each one just gets harder and harder on the field as you go. Some people have said this is the best playing surface in Major League Baseball. How much pride do you take in that when you hear that? Well, yeah, the crew and I take a lot of pride in the field. Um, you know, I'll leave that up. I've talked to, you know, several people. We get a lot of good comments about the field. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, you know, I'll leave that up to somebody else. But um, we do take a tremendous amount of pride in what we do and try to provide a consistent uh, field day in day out which is really you know what we can do we do have some challenges here uh, being below sea level and and you know foggy days cold day, you know windy days we had a pretty constant wind in here so but the uh, main thing for for myself and the crew is we just try to put out a consistent product every day um, you know hopefully the guys know know what to expect and um, we do take a lot of pride in that and you got to have the right grass because I think you know, like at Levi Stadium, they dealt with issues with, with their turf, and they, they the turf wouldn't stay, and I know they've tried a bunch of different grass. So for you, as you said, you know, depending on the tide, that's one of the factors when you look at being below sea level about how wet the field, because I remember at night, especially in the winter time for Raider games, it get kind of, it get, it was, it, the, the turf was very wet, and yeah. it hadn't rained. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, it was funny. Uh, Al Locasell back in the day when the Raiders came back, used to talk about how uh, visiting teams used to accuse Al Davis here of soaking down the field before a game. And, <laughs> and Al Locasell was like, we, you know, we didn't tell anybody to do anything. He's like, it, you know, it's just naturally wet. He's like, we had the fastest team, you know, ever assembled. He's like, why would we want to slow our own guys down, you know? So it was always kind of a big joke that, you know, Al Davis watered the field down. But, in reality, it's just, hey, when the field temperature hits a certain dew point here, dew's going to form on the field. It could be in the middle of summer, but if that temperature drops below that dew point, the grass is going to get wet. I mean, it's just the way it is. And it's amplified down here, um, you know, being below sea level, and things just kind of tend to stay wetter as is kind of down in this bowl. You get shadows, you get shade, um, that's affected by scoreboards and the stadium and things like that. So, 
uh, there's a lot of things that go into it. There's little microclimates inside the stadium that, um, you know, the wind could be blowing seems like 30 miles an hour first base you see the umpire's pants flapping and over here in the dugout you wouldn't even know the wind's blowing so there's a lot of little things that go into the stadium that make it unique is there ever an area on the field where you go okay that's a troubled area we gotta we gotta worry more about that spot than any other spot well we have differences where you know grasses tend to grow faster and and um you know not necessarily trouble we don't we have enough sunlight during the day where during baseball our sh our shade issues don't become a huge factor as far as you know thinning out the turf or anything like that so i know there are stadiums around the country that that have had problems with actual you know where the grass would tend to die off um, because of the shade issues uh, especially early and late in the year um, and you know we don't have that problem here during baseball now, during football, we did have some areas, you know, when the sun got at its lowest point that didn't even see parts of the football field that didn't even see sun uh, during the day. So, And I think about, you know, other places, especially this year, you know, with the weather and the tropical storms and everything. I mean, you got some places, they're pulling out their tarp constantly. How nice is that, that where we live, that you guys aren't playing that tarp game all the time for a homestand. Yeah, I mean, that's really stressful on everybody involved. I think, uh, you know, all the way from, you know, upper management down to the groundskeeper and then everybody in between. You got, you know, coaching staffs with pitchers and matchups and, and umpires trying to make decisions on, you know, when to pull, not to pull. So there's a dealt with it enough to know that I'm happy we don't have to deal with it. Um, and I've always said, I think if it, if I was a groundskeeper in that sort of climate, I probably wouldn't be a groundskeeper. Because so. <laughs> when you start dealing with that, you're dealing with umpires. You know, I remember we were in Detroit, and they pulled everybody off the field, and they put the tarp, and it wasn't raining. And, of course, we're all like, what the heck are they doing? We, you know, we could still be playing. Five minutes later, here it came, and it came down in Detroit. It didn't stop. We had to remake the game. Re uh, uh, redo the game, I should say, here in Oakland. So there's the dot. Like, like how how good are you at reading a Doppler? Um, you know, I've I've become pretty adept at, at weather. You know, over the years, I've got some people that have helped me out to really try to understand some things. That you know, coastal weather is very difficult, uh, especially here in the Bay Area. Um, a lot of times in the Midwest, you can see those thunderheads. You can see those storms on the the radar coming. And, you know, here in the Bay, I mean, we could have, uh, we've had a lot of times situations where, you know, you get half an inch of rain, you know, two miles down the road, and we don't get a drop here. So uh, the way the weather comes on shore can be difficult to read, you know. I mean, um, even these last few systems that have come through, uh, I think, you know, for the local weather guys are really hard to read, you know. So, but. You know, I think once weather's coming in, you know, you like to see the umpires trust the groundskeepers, trust their sources that, hey, if we, if you allow us to cover the field now, <laughs> it's going to save everybody a lot of time later, you know, because once, uh, once you get that field unplayable conditions from rain and then you have to cover it and then you have to uncover it, 
it's just way more difficult to get going, get started, get a game started after that field becomes unplayable. And I think that's why, as frustrating as it can be for fans at times, uh, to either see guys play through rain or to put the tarp on when it's not raining, you know, hopefully those decisions are, are you know, being made the right way and, and umpires are trusting. Because the biggest thing is if you protect the field and all you have to do is take the tarp off, you can get ready to play really quick. If you don't, it's going to be a long night for everybody. Well, I can tell people I've actually been to a monster truck, Grave Digger. I've been to one of those here. And for years, outside of Mount Davis, there's just this big pile of dirt that is out there that's for the motocross and it's for, for the monster truck. What is it like when you gotta you got to get rid of the field and you got to get all that dirt in here? Well, yeah, the field for us is kind of our last line of defense, so we leave the, the turf in. Uh, they bring all that dirt on top of our turf. So we put down plastic, and we the, the process getting it out, is it, it's pretty amazing what the transformation we have to go through once that thing's over. So it can be a mess. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot of dirt. It's probably three or 4,000 yards of uh, road base, and then there's another probably 5,000 tons of dirt that, you know, they build a track out of that goes on top of that. So it's fully covered, and, and but they're great shows. You know, I mean, if you're going to do it, you might, you might as well do it that way. Just cover it up and have them all and then, you know, fix it when they're done because they're, they're a lot of fun to come to. Hey, it's great to have you on. We always want to do it one time a year to get our update on the field. As people say, you're the best in the business. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I don't say that. I'll, but uh, I appreciate I you guys, it. and thanks for having me on, and uh, always look forward to it. So You are the best, my man. Appreciate it. Let's thanks, Tony. You want to do a little uh, buying or selling? Well, I was actually going to play something for you. Okay. You sent this to me earlier. This happened, uh, I forget how many years ago this was, but you sent me this. This was years ago. This happened on this date. Society today. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm not a, I'm not a kid. Write something about me or our coaches. Go write it about a kid that does everything right, that's heart's broken, and then say that the coaches said he was scared. That ain't true. And then to say that we made that decision because Donovan Woods, because he threatened to transfer, that's not true. So get your facts straight. And I hope someday you have a child and somebody be downgrades him and belittles him and you have to look him in the eye and say, you know what, it's okay. They're supposed to be mature adults, but they're really not. Who's the kid here? Who's the kid here? Are you kidding me? That's all I got to say. Makes me want to puke. Only in college football, the great Mike Gundy, head coach of Oklahoma State years ago. I'm a man. I'm 40. And if you remember back, he was the quarterback. I actually watched him play in the Holiday Bowl way back when I went to a game. But uh, that's one of those deals where uh, that'll go down in history as one of the great post games. There's, there's, go to YouTube. There's over three minutes of that. And that's where, like, Jim Rome. I'm a man. I'm 40. That's where Jim Rome got the fat. <laughs> there's, there's Do you say that your kid's fat? I mean, he goes on for, like, three minutes. There's so many good ones. My favorite, though, there, nothing for me tops the uh, Jim Mora. Playoffs. Playoffs. You're talking about playoffs. playoffs. I just hope we can win a game, another what? game. Uh, hey, that was four, hey, four, hey. 14 years ago, Mike Gundy. Hey, 
I kind of feel that way right now. Playoffs? You talking playoffs? Well, it's it was a good thing that the Rays lost. Uh, the Rays beat the Jays. So our, our good my good friend Kevin Cash helped us out there. Uh, the Red Sox are smoking the Mets right now, so that's not good. The A's are only two and a half back now after the loss by the uh, the Jays. A's have lost two of their first games in this 13-game gauntlet between the A's, Mariners, and Astros. The A's are now 24-46 and 46 against teams that are 500. That's terrible. They're 21st in baseball. How about the A's bullpen? They're the second-worst bullpen ERA in the majors in September at 624. Only the Orioles are worse at 6.86. And remember this. The A's pen had just a 3.60 ERA through August, which was the sixth best, sixth best in the majors. Matt Chapman has fallen apart. He's 5 for 35 in the last 11 games. That's a 143 average. You know how many strikeouts? Was it like 18 or something? 18 strikeouts in the last 11 games. I mean, it's just – I was going to text you last night. I, I didn't want to be negative about it. But um, with all these strikeouts that are happening, he's starting to eerily look like a little bit a better defensive version of – I'm going to throw it out there. Mark, Remember Mark Reynolds? Yeah. Mark Reynolds' batting average started dipping. He had a bunch of home runs. Struck but he struck out a, out a ton. He led the league in strikeouts a bunch. I'd have to pull it up to look. I'll pull it up real quick. Hey, you, want, you, you want a Mariners stat that's really scary? I have a few of them before we end. The Mariners' bullpen has a 1.17 ERA against the A's in their seven-game winning streak against Oakland, holding Oakland to an average of 1.52. Let me say that again. And their seven straight wins against the A's, their bullpen ERA is 1.17, and the A's average against the bullpen in that seven-game losing streak is a buck fifty-two. Uh, that's not good. And Chapman's second in Major League Baseball in strikeouts behind only. There's no Gallo's been hit, and so it can't be Gallo. Gallo's at two hundred. Chapman's at one eighty-eight. Who guess who's fourth? Gallo's at two hundred. Yeah, guess who's at, guess who's fourth in the league in strikeouts? I don't know. That'd be uh, unanimous AL MVP Shohei Otani. What one hundred and seventy-nine. You know, you know that's one thing that I don't read when I when I've read all these articles about how oh there's no doubt Otani's the MVP. None of these articles really talk about how he's tanked lately. He had a home run last night though. He's tanked. He's been terrible. Yeah, he's been really bad. He's been. I mean, you call that? I mean, I understand it's a historic year, the pitching, the hitting, and all of that. But if you actually really look at what he's done in the second half and what he's done lately, he's been an absolute non-factor. How is that the MVP, a guy who's a non-factor at the end of the year? It's it's not a good thing. And I know you could say maybe he's, you know, maybe he's you know tired or worn out because he's doing both. But, I mean, he was good up until this month, or essentially sometime in August, and then he started falling apart a little bit. He had, his, he had a home run last night. So what is that? That's now 40, was it 45 he has now? So he's a 45 homers. He's five away from 50. I'd love to see a player at 50 this year, but I don't know if we're going to get there. But the A's are 46 or 40 and 36 at home. If you look at all the teams qualifying for the playoffs or in the playoff race, I didn't put Cleveland in here because they don't really have a shot. The A's have the worst home record. Yeah, don't count Cleveland. They, that's the worst home record among the contending playoff teams in the AL. 40 and 36 at home. They've lost eight of 10 here. Yeah, so. they they. I mean, the, the, the fact is... Ten runs in their last four games also. We could we could sit here... Yeah, I'm looking. I just went to the uh, Angels page. Otani's hitting 217 in September with five RBIs. 
I did a comparison of the we'll do it tomorrow or on Friday between Otani and Vlad how they've done in the second half. You know what we didn't get to and we got to get to this Friday is the uh, old best old guy team that's, going right yeah, now. It's good because you've got you've got. I mean, if I'm managing this ball club and I'm starting out a series with Scherzer and Wainwright, let's get it going. Yeah, I'm not afraid. Wait, hey, and your third starter is Charlie Morton. I'm, I'm, okay I'm with ready that. to go. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to go. Everybody talks about these old guys can't play anymore. I, I want to do this. We have a list of the the all 35 and up team. You don't think I want Nelly Cruz DHing? Oh, him. Uh, you probably put Votto in there at first base. That's right. How old is Votto? 30? 37 or 38. Votto's now just hitting jacks. He's yeah. not walking anymore. That's all he cares about. That's all yeah. he cares about is home runs. I'm now a Votto fan. Yeah. If Votto keeps hitting jacks, I'm like, put that man in the Hall of Fame. We're out of here? Yeah, we're out of here. We're back on Friday, and we're going to have uh, David Forrest. We're going to have uh, our good friend Sparksy in person, Steve Sparks from the Astros Radio. Uh, we'll have Bob Melvin, and we're going to potentially have Kendall Graveman from the Astros uh, working on that one. I've, you know what? I've always been a big fan of Kendall. He's a great kid. Um, and, boy, did he he wear his emotions on the sleeve when he got traded from the from the Mariners over to the Houston Astros. But in the end, you know what? It's a great move for Kendall. You know, as tough as that was for him to deal with, and I totally understand, they felt they were building something, and you trade your closer, which is absolutely crazy. But the reality is, Kendall's going to the postseason. Yeah. And I don't know if he was going to the postseason. I, I, you know, right now, what does Fangraphs have? It's got to be equal, right, Fangraphs, the percentage for the A's and the Mariners to make the playoffs? It's at uh, 1.5%. Oh, my God. That was before the Jays lost, though. It might have gone up. Oh, my God. But that's what it is, so. Oh. 1.5%. The A's have 1.5% chance to make the wild card game. Here, I'll pull it up real quick because we, we do have to go. But uh, right now their playoff odds are at, um, oh, it's gone up. It's gone up. 2.1. How depressing is that? Wasn't it 70% yeah, at one point? Yeah. It was at 70-something percent the A's would make the playoffs. Then at some point it was even 30. We're now at what? 2.1. 2.1? Mariners went up to 1.6. All right, what are we playing next? Uh, green and gold history with Feldy. Green and gold history, and I'll be back at 540 with A's Total Access. We want to thank Sean Doolittle, Amelia Schimmel, and the great Clay Wood for stopping by A's Cast Live. Here is a little history about your Oakland athletics. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.